Park rangers call it death by GPS. And throughout the country, they are seeing an alarming rise in the phenomena. In an episode of his podcast, Cautionary Tales, Tim Harford recounts the tragic story of Alicia Sanchez, who unquestioningly followed her GPS navigation into Death Valley, California, in 2009. Ignoring the clues around her, including stones placed across the road, warning her that this particular trail was closed, Alicia kept going until her jeep was axle-deep in sand. A park ranger found her five days later. Alicia survived, but tragically, her six-year-old son, Carlos, did not. In the same episode, Tim Harford quotes a park ranger who said, People are so reliant on their GPS that they fail to look out of their windshield and make wise decisions based on what they're seeing. It seems to me that the more reliant that we are on wonderful instruments to keep us in contact with the world, the less in contact we really are. I sometimes wonder if those people I knew of in my youth, folk who could look at the sky or grass or birds and accurately predict storms, who always seem to know exactly where they were, if those folk have become extinct. One of my strongest memories is of getting hopelessly lost with a van full of kids in Washington, D.C. I had no GPS, I had no map. The more I tried to untangle myself from the consequences of an unexpected road closure, the more entangled I became. But I was fortunate. I had a science teacher traveling with me, and Richard merely got out of the car, looked at the sky, and said, take your next possible left. After doing this three or four more times, getting out of the car, looking up and telling me to go straight or take a left or take a right, we found ourselves safely on the road that took us north to Pennsylvania. Along with our lack of awareness of our world, Richard's style, we are also concerned about our kids not having a relationship with nature. The concern over kids spending too much time indoors has become so extreme that the crisis has a name, Nature Deficit Disorder. This shift is largely due to technology. The average American child is said to spend between four to seven minutes a day in unstructured play outdoors and over seven hours a day in front of a screen and often alone. We, as adults, seem to be spending less time playing with our kids outdoors unless it's in structured sports situations. But realisation is one thing. Putting our desire to change the current situation and turning it into direct action sounds daunting. So I was delighted when a book landed in my letterbox that is a one-book toolkit. This debut book by Hans Aschem, writer and world traveller, whose assignments have taken him around the world on a range of adventures from trekking in the Arctic Circle to surfing in the Maldives, is called How to Go Anywhere and Not Get Lost. Not only does Aschem tell the story of navigation whilst offering practical tips and tricks for budding explorers, but he also invites young adventurers to power down technology and encourages them to go outside. 
By learning observation skills and different means of navigation, children can understand more about the world whilst enjoying the journey. The book is an exciting mix of history, science and geography, accompanied by vibrant illustrations and informational sidebars, and it's plain fun to read and play with. Asham covers things such as looking at a tree and finding north, using the stars to tell time, and calculating latitude and longitude. The chapters are accompanied by fun, interactive, make-it-yourself activities, such as a star clock, a simple tool made of just a paper plate and a pen that lets the user tell time by looking at the stars. And pace count beads, a string of beads for measuring distance walked, used by everyone from outdoor adventurers to army rangers. At the beginning of this book, Hans explains how he was inspired to write the book. Author's note. When I decided to write this book, writing was the last thing a responsible person should have been thinking about. I was all alone, three miles off the coast of Maui, bobbing around in house-sized ocean waves, known as swells, with an 11-foot paddleboard that suddenly felt like a cork. The cliffs disappeared with the roll of each swell. Then I was even more alone, sandwiched in the alleyway of neighbouring two-storey waves. Soon, the cliffs on shore disappeared altogether. Instead of panicking, I started getting curious. How did anyone ever figure out how to navigate this crazy planet? All I could think about was how people set sail out on this same ocean with nothing but their knowledge of the world around them. I was in Hawaii, reporting on a big wave surfing event for a national magazine. Having grown up on the Great Lakes, I was no stranger to spending time on the water in rough weather. But this was different. I couldn't tell one seemingly identical patch of sea apart from the next. The rolling of the swell made it hard to even think straight. Then luckily, an outrigger canoe crested over a swell. The paddler up front nodded casually in the direction of land like he was giving directions to a restaurant. I made it back to shore after two hours of hard paddling and a lot of thinking. Hans Asham in the author's note from his book How to Go Anywhere and Not Get Lost. A guidebook suitable for children ages nine to adult. I had the opportunity to speak by phone with Hans Asham recently. The age range is nine and up, and the end up is really emphasized here. There's something for adults to learn. It's really fascinating information. You'll certainly learn something new by picking up this book. I was leafing through. I didn't have much time, but I did manage to go out into my garden to get my bearings using the sun, which you'd think by now I'd know how to do, and I had no idea how to do that, and I had an absolute blast. I'm happy to hear it. What technique did you use? I used the shadow it method. Yes. It's, a, it's amazing how these methods of determining your orientation are, they seem simple, but they took a long time to figure out uh, in terms of human history, and, and they're very powerful. By the time GPS came along, I was already middle-aged. So I grew up in an age where you learnt things like map reading 
and I have a bevy of children and grandchildren around me and I'm always very concerned that they turn to the GPS for absolutely everything they do. And I think to myself that I have an innate sense of direction, but I realize it isn't innate. I've taught myself through my childhood and young adult life to get this sense of direction, to learn places. Exactly. That's so important. There's a sense among people that some people say, oh, I'm navigationally challenged. I can't find my way out of a paper bag, that sort of thing. But that's every human in history. We're not wired the way that some animals are to just immediately have a sense of direct something that we've always been curious about. So it makes sense that humans have developed navigational skills and tools and techniques. And you're absolutely right. When we rely entirely on a smartphone, for example, for GPS, that's a very powerful tool, but it's just one tool. And so in this book, I teach a lot of different tools that kids and adults, like we said, can use to navigate. And it really instills a sense of confidence once you realize that I don't need my phone for every single thing. I can actually look at the world and make decisions based on what I see and what I've learned. And over time, those skills can get sharper and sharper. I love in the beginning of the book when you say the story of navigation is the story of human history. It's really fascinating. As human beings, we love to wander off and get a bit lost, don't we? We do. We were, we're drawn to it for a whole number of reasons. I mean, if you go way back, we started migrating and navigating and just moving around for food, for just curiosity, for more space, for resources. And we've really never stopped. And it's really driven human history around the world, everywhere from the South Pacific to the ancient Polynesians crossing the Pacific, uh, developing navigational methods based on their surroundings. And that's what people have always done. People have always used what's around them to adapt and to learn from those kind of context clues on how to navigate. So it's really fascinating to look at how different cultures have you know, adapted their navigational techniques to what's around them. I love the way the book is set out. You know, when I first heard about the book, it sounded very appealing and I knew it was a guide for young adventurers. So I hoped it would be fairly simple. But, you know, I thought to myself, is it going to be enormously complicated and a little bit difficult to grasp? But you've laid everything out so nicely and in such a fun way. How did you think up how to do that? Well, I think in organizing this book, I really wanted it to be something that anyone could pick up without much or any background knowledge about the subject and really read it either from cover to cover or just pick a chapter that's interesting and really just go from there. I, I didn't want it to have a big barrier around overly technical knowledge or requiring too much background knowledge. And I think that's helpful for, you know, adults picking this book up too, because some of this is stuff you may have learned as a kid, but, you know, in your everyday life, you don't need to worry about the angle of the sun and why the North Star always points north. So it's it's cool to have that refresher and it, it grounds everything else. So a lot of this knowledge builds on, you know, previous knowledge that's laid out in the book, but but it doesn't necessarily require uh, a deep understanding of it in order to get some of the later chapters. As a grandparent, inevitably, I'm always asked really awkward questions from the children around <laughs> me. What is this? Why is this? And it's a wonderful book 
to answer at least some of those questions, especially about the sun and the stars. You know, you think you're well educated and then a grandchild asks you a question and you sort of stare off into space and think, I know I'm supposed to know that. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Why? Like, why does this work? And, and that's something that I really hope readers take away from this book is, is having a critical understanding of the world and, and not just accepting face value kind of um, things you're told, but, but understanding why they work and, and why things are the way they are is really important. And it's a great way to develop critical thinking skills and making good decisions. I knew a little bit about Dead Reckoning, but how it got its name and great little bits and pieces of history. Yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of history from that era. It was a lot of word of mouth history back then. Um, and Dead Wrecking is a good example of that. No one's really quite certain on exactly, you know, how this really important and influential term came to be. And that's not the only one. There, there are some really funny uh, accounts from that same period of history um, around the 15, 16, 1700s of the, the wounded dog theory of, of determining longitude, which is really, really funny to look back on now, but it, and it shows how far we've come in science. But there was a, a special powder that, that people thought you could, you could feel other injuries through if you, if you used. And so the, the story goes, they would put a, a wounded dog on a, on a ship, a dog that had some kind of, you know, a cut on its leg or a wound of some kind, and then take the bandage off and leave the bandage on shore. And then at a certain time of day, let's say at noon, they would put this special powder on, this powder of empathy, I believe it was called, powder of empathy. And then the dog would kind of yelp or howl because it would feel the powder on its bandage. And that's how they would know what time it was, the wounded dog theory. Of course, that didn't work. <laughs> and people figured that out pretty quick, but it goes to show how far we've come. If you hadn't got lost at sea, this book might never have happened. Yeah, perhaps not. I have been interested in navigation for a long time, but being semi—I'll say semi—lost at sea <laughs> uh, in Hawaii in the, the big rolling swells of the ocean really got me thinking about just how people were able to cross the sea without special tools, but with just their knowledge and just the skills that they had built over generations, and just that feeling of connection to the past that way, that feeling of vulnerability in nature really inspired me. It really felt like I was connected to this long chain of human history of facing danger and then finding your way out of it on a very small scale, of course. Hans Ascham, author of How to Go Anywhere and Not Get Lost. How to Go Anywhere and Not Get Lost by Hans Ascham is suitable for children ages 9 to adult, and is available at all good booksellers. To find out more about the author, visit www.hansashim.com and Asham is spelt A-S-C-H-I-M www.hansashim.com Thank you very much to Hans Asham. And to you, WVIA's Fiona Powell.